Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Ben and Cody here with you today. I'm sitting here in my recliner with a dog on my lap and Cody's in his boxers because we are professionals, folks. Cody, how you doing? I'm great, man. I'm great. So uh, yeah, we're here uh, to recap the number five Clemson Tigers 26-7 victory over the J- uh, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets over the, or back on Thursday. Uh, Clemson's first win in Atlanta since, uh, against Georgia Tech since 2003. Um, you know, Cody, let's jump right into it because a lot of talked about here today, you know, we're not going to just be focusing on this Georgia Tech win, but also on the upcame, upcoming big game versus Louisville, which is going to be Clemson's biggest game of the season. Um, so going back to Georgia Tech here real quick, again, I mentioned we haven't won in Atlanta since 2003. The offense really came out and had a great first half. The defense absolutely dominated. That being said, Cody, how do we feel heading into this Louisville game based off of what we saw against Georgia Tech last Thursday? Well, I don't think we learned a lot from that game in particular. The second half, the first half, I think we learned a little bit about the offense. The defense looked great. It's looking more and more like a top 10 defense, and who would have thought that? Uh, I think firmly or squarely in that top 10, too. Um, I I don't know how, the, how well or how much that means as it relates to Louisville, but I, I got to say I feel pretty good. I feel better uh, going against them at home than FSU probably felt on the road. We'll say that. Yeah, I'm still a little uneasy coming out of this game because we still haven't seen a Clemson team really put together, you know, outside of South Carolina State, you know, four solid quarters of football against a quality opponent. Uh, like you mentioned, the defense did look absolutely fantastic. They had Paul Johnson after, uh, I think, their second drive of the game. Uh, sitting there on the sidelines trying to reinvent the triple option. Uh, it was a head-scratcher for him. He couldn't figure out what to do. Brent Venable still um, owns him in this offensive system. Uh, but for the Clemson offense, to only put up three points in the second half and kind of sputter as much as they did, still feel like they're going through the motions. You know, the first half was good, but we saw Deshaun Watson overthrow a lot of balls. Uh, the running game was a little slow to get going. So, you know, he- heading into this game against Louisville, you know, I have a lot of concerns. This Louisville team is legitimately, you know, a top five team in the country. Lamar Jackson, a legitimate Heisman uh, trophy contender right now. I mean, they're a fantastic football team. And I'm not sure I've seen enough out of Clemson yet to, to make me really feel hugely confident that we're going to win that game. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm right there with you. We actually, I think we're a, what, a three and a half point favorite, which I, I'm really, really surprised. Uh, and I think that line's got to be moving throughout the course of the week because that seems, it seems like Louisville should be the, the favorite just based off of how they played. Well, and I think it actually came out today that they are the favorite now as a, as a, as a road uh, on the road. Wow. Well, there you go. I mean, that, that goes to show that this line started at three and a half and betters quickly jumped on top of that. That's called the inefficiency. And, uh, but hey, you know, bet on Clemson now. You, got, you have good odds. Um, before so, we get into that, let me give a quick plug to TigerNet. Again, we're, we're, for those of you that don't know, we're in partnership with them this, this year, this football season. Um, and as we're coming up on these upcoming home games, make sure to go visit the ticket section of their website where you can add uh, a new listing if you have a ticket you want to sell, or you can also find the ticket for sale, uh, same with parking passes. And then uh, when basketball season, which is like a month away now, when that comes about, uh, you can do the same there. So go there. It's a great place. You find, I won't say like some discounts, but you're going to find better prices than like a StubHub. And, uh, and again, you keep it within Clemson circles. So let me just give that, that quick plug. Yeah, and then also if you don't have time during the day to constantly be checking TigerNet for news updates or any breaking news alerts, 
You can sign up for email alerts and or their daily digests either through your account settings page if you're logged in. If you don't have an account or you don't want an account, uh, you can just put your email in the little box in the upper right-hand corner of any news story and updates. That's a good way to stay connected via TigerNet all day long. All right, so let's turn our focus back here to looking at, I want to focus first, Cody, on the Georgia Tech game specifically. Again, we got out to a hot start. It really kind of petered away in the second half. The defense played well throughout, but, you know, why should we still be concerned about this offense? Well, I still put it a little bit on, and I know I think it's an oversimplification to say that not allowing Deshaun Watson to run is what is is the reason for the, the offense's struggles. That's part of it. I think overall balance across the offense and not I don't I wanna say I, I think we've been way too vanilla and that's by design. It's it's very it's purposeful. Uh, and just in not you know, using Ray Ray around the perimeter, using Artavis on screen passes. Uh, using Jordan Leggett on underneath routes. But we, you saw in the first quarter, whenever we did do that, how, how efficiently the offense moved. And we haven't seen that, maybe against South Carolina State to some extent, but we haven't seen it uh, up until this point against uh, legitimate competition. So I guess going forward, I, I think we're, we have some things to build on. And then the second half, we completely, against Georgia Tech, we completely just shut it down. So I think what you're going to see is a very dynamic offense against Louisville as opposed to what you saw, say, in the second half of the Georgia Tech game. So you, do you think, you think part of it is because we went vanilla in the second half, really closed the playbook back up because we had such a comfortable lead? I, th- I think so. I mean, I, so what, how effective is that really? Okay, that may work against Georgia Tech um, or shutting it down against South Carolina State going into Georgia Tech, but we're going into Louisville here, a team that we're going to have to score a ton of points. And this first-team offense doesn't know what it's like to be out there for four quarters clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, and let's, and let's, you know, let's be clear. There's something to be said for a Thursday night game on the road in Atlanta. Maybe, you know, lack of preparation or a short week. So maybe that contributed to a little bit of the, you know, I don't want to say the offense going flat in the second half. And, and Georgia Tech's defense isn't bad. I mean, they're not great, but they're, they're not horrible. So maybe they made some adjustments as well. Uh, I, I feel pretty good. I think I feel better than most. It's what it seems like, whether it be you know, Clemson Nation or, or the national media feel about the 26-7 win. I feel pretty good about it. You're right. Louisville, that's another animal. And if we got to look like we did in the first quarter for four quarters, or we will lose to them. So, I mean, you mentioned the run game under Deshaun Watson, and it, it is really, it's a big part of this offense, and for this offense to be successful, he needs to run well. But the other part of that is the running game in general needs to run well, and I saw a couple times in this game where Wayne Gallman was not really hitting the holes. He was hesitating and kind of dancing uh, horizontally around the line of scrimmage, which is a complete opposite to what uh, we were used to seeing him do last year. I don't know if part of that's on Wayne right now or the fact that the offensive line is just has a lot of underperformers right now. Mitch Hyatt is not playing up to the best of his ability. Uh, Taylor Hearn is having his bad moments. Uh, so yeah, Jake for Morgan, you know, is, is not been playing great all the time. So I, I, it's a combination of those two things. Again, the run game really has to get going. And then you know, when you have opportunities in the passing game, we'll get to this, you've you got to catch the ball. But, I mean, really focusing on the running, what's, what's going on there? I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, and not one of them, not any one of them seems to be clicking. 
Well, a lot, yeah, a lot of things, and it's everything's interconnected in football, especially uh, with with our offense. So it's never just one thing. I, I totally agree with you, though. I think Wayne Coleman, one of the things that made him so good that allowed him to take his game to the next level last year, was that he his vision just improved. He went from a linebacker in high school to a, a legitimate All Conference running back in, in his sophomore year. Well, flip it to this year, he's he looks a little hesitant. He's not. He's just not finding the holes as well as he should. Jay Guillermo looks, he's been great. He's been just taking some guys out. Um, you saw Adam Choice go in. Now it looks like, I'm looking at the box score, he only had four carries. But, but I was they were, really... They were impressive carries. Like, they stood out to you. It seemed like he ran the ball more than he did just because the opportunities he got, he was successful. Right. So four, uh, four carries, 26 yards, an average of 6.5, whereas Wayne Gallman, 17 carries, 59 yards, 3.5 average. Yeah, you're right. They stood out, and we talked about... Choice looking a step slow, being a significant drop off uh, from from Gallman. But I mean, he looks like I think it's part of that's confidence. And you saw the same with Gallman as he emerged. When you when you get more confidence as a running back, you start playing, you play the game a little faster, and, and the game comes to you a little a little faster. Yeah, and it really looks like Adam Choice has locked up that that solid number two spot behind Wayne Gallman. I think so. I and if he keeps playing like this, he's going to get like a fifty fifty split. <laughs> Um, and, and really, you know, surprising we didn't see anything from Tavion Feaster, um, even given kind of some of the weaknesses in the run game. So that's a little bit telling right now. Um, talking about, I mentioned a little bit about the drops in the passing game. You know, uh, Deion Kane, another key touchdown drop. At what point do you have to say, no more chances? We have to put the guys out on the field who we know are going to make the plays, especially, you know, against a team like Louisville. I mean, I agree. And you see Cornell Powell. Are you, are you not? You know, we talked about it last week. We're like, he looks good. He'll be good for us probably next year. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think he's, he came out and made some really nice plays that allowed us to extend those early drives. Uh, he, he's a player kind of like Hunter Renfro where you just start to get this feeling of reliability. Um, granted, he's, he's more talented than Hunter Renfro, and he, he's almost as talented as Deion Kane when we talk about physical ability. Uh, that that guy, he's going to command some some snaps, and I, I think it's going to come from Deion Kane because I love Deion Kane, but I, a lot of it's in between the years, and, and I think the announcer even said it. Uh, maybe he came back from that suspension, and he, he felt like he had to, to move mountains and, and, and try to rectify everything, and he's trying to do too much at this point. And I, I would I would have to agree with that. That's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, and so Dabo, part of Dabo's philosophy is that if a guy practices well, like if he shows out in practice – then he earns playing time in the game, um, and he'll get it. And we've seen that this year by a lot of guys cycling in and out. But, you know, at this point for me, I think it's time to play the guys who've, who have proven it on the field. Now you have four games under your belt. That's enough of a body of work. So I don't care how they're practicing during the week so much anymore. Put the guys in there who are proving it on the field because you can't afford to still be testing things out and hoping things get better against a team like Louisville. you got to throw the guys in there. Um, that are getting the job done. And, I mean, it's not just Deion Kane. It's on the offensive line. I mean, you know, I don't care what Mitch Hyatt did last year. If he's struggling this year and John Simpson is going in there and playing well, then put him in ahead of, ahead of Hyatt. So be it. I, I really don't care. you got to put the guys in who are getting the job done. Well, I think you might have meant Taylor Hearn. But, well, Mitch Hyatt's great too. But John Simpson is, is I think, the heir apparent left guard. And where the question mark lies is that left guard spot a little bit. Uh, Taylor Hearn looked really good against Auburn. I think he graded out as the best offensive lineman in that game, and we're we're thinking, hey, you know, no drop off, Eric McLean, you know, we'll we'll gel in time, and you know, things will just we'll just keep rolling. But that hasn't been the case. 
Uh, he's had some just major uh, misses that's almost, you know, cost Deshaun Watson his health. Um, he's still a great player. I think it's just, it's an element of just understanding every facet of the game. And when you talk about just sheer talent, John Simpson, he could be that guy. You do have to give him some looks, I think, at this point. Yeah, I'm sorry. Thanks for correcting me there. I was meaning Ankrum in Hyatt's position, but then you're right, oh, too, yeah. about, about Simpson and Hearn's position. The same thing goes there. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to pump the brakes on Hyatt. I, I have confidence. I mean, that guy's just NFL talented, and he'll figure it out. But, uh, but no, you're, you're right. There's, there's no more time, though, to be figuring it out. Like, we can't be figuring out against Louisville. we got to go in knowing. Like, we have to know who's going to make the plays. And I'm not saying bench Hyatt. I'm not going to an extreme. I'm just trying to set an example here that we've, we've played four games. And to be honest, we haven't played four games against the best competition in the country. In fact, none of them are top 25-level opponents. Well, now we're about to go up against uh, number three, I believe. Louisville's ranked number three. So if they haven't been performing you know, as uh, superbly as we would have expected them to up to this point, what makes us think that they're going to perform that way against Louisville? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think but part of it is that continuity and playing together and gelling and cohesiveness, all of those buzzwords that you use for offensive linemen. It, and that's, that's where I question, you know, I understand, you know, to a certain degree with the running backs and wide receivers and getting them out there. But I know you want to get guys playing time and experience, but subbing on the offensive line so early and so often can really, I, I don't think it helps the chemistry, the chemistry of the starting five. Like those guys need to play together. Like, I don't even care who they're playing against. They just need to be together out there on the field uh, to gel. But when you're subbing guys in and out, right and left, do they really have that opportunity? Yeah, well, I mean, that's why you don't, in my opinion, that's why you don't, you know, give Taylor Hearn the axe or move Anchorman too, too soon because it's not just about, you know, you can't just plug in John Simpson and, you know, plug and play. He's going to be an, an All-American. It, it takes, you know, that, that teamwork, chemistry, you know, et cetera. So one guy I did think had a really good uh, game. We saw Jordan Leggett really uh, get into it in the passing game. He had several catches early on. He had a key touchdown catch before the half. So really good to see him be active in the offensive game plan because he could be a huge weapon for us against a team like Louisville. Yeah, and would would you say that you know he stepped up or we actually just made a commitment to getting him the ball because it, I would say it was the latter. And well, well, we've seen him drop some balls too, but we did make a commitment early on in this game in getting him the ball, so that was refreshing to see. Again, we have a lot of guys out there on the field in the, at the skill positions to get involved and active in the game, and uh, maybe it's a, you know, we have to find the certain guys who do need constant reps uh, to make sure that they're you know, staying focused and consistent, unlike a guy like Hunter Renfro, who could have one catch a game, but it would be the most spectacular catch you've ever seen. Right, it's, it's like the guy in basketball, he can, he can come off the bench at any point, he could be sitting all night and he'll, he'll step in and hit the three-pointer, but others need, you know, they need the reps, they need to be in the flow of the game, and I think that's fair, I think that's a reason that Jordan Leggett needed to get more, we'll say reps or more targets against South Carolina State, but hey, I'm, I'm glad that we started working him more into the offense, Again, is that is that intentional? Or is that them concealing the playbook? Uh, well, now they now they have something to to think about when they go into their film study. You know, Jordan Leggett, uh, Ray Ray, in a more dynamic, uh, using him in a more dynamic way. There's a lot that they're gonna have to think through. Things that will occupy the defense's mind as they're game planning, and that's what we want to do. Yeah, and speaking of Ray Ray, man, another hundred yard game receiving eight receptions led the team. 101 yards led the team. 
12.6 average a catch. I mean, he's shook off that drop punt on the touchdown, and, man, he's really performed. Yes, and you see an element of strength to his game. I mean, we always knew he had some, he had good speed, right? And lateral quickness was always going to be, you know, top top of the charts. But you're seeing an element of him him actually, you know, not going down with arm tackles like you saw last year. Part of that was probably injury, but he's he's improved, you know, just as much as I think anyone. I mean, really, we we see more regression unfortunately on the offense than anything. And he's actually he's actually a guy that's a, a net positive on the year, so it's it's refreshing. And uh, especially with his, his shortcomings, even this year, to see him just keep moving forward, that's, it's a great sign. Now, on the flip side of that, Artavis Scott only three catches for 14 yards. And he hasn't really had a breakout game, so to speak, this year, I would say. You know, we thought uh, coming off of an injury from last year, had some time to heal over the, over the spring and over the summer. But still not seeing a ton out of him yet. Maybe a case where the coaches are still holding back some of the playbook. I don't know, but it's interesting. Again, so many weapons for, yeah. for Deshaun Watson to go to. You know, Cornell Powell, you know, getting a lot of targets. Even Trevion Thompson getting in there a bunch. Maybe it's just hard to spread it around to all these guys. I, I think that's part of it. Ray Ray's, you know, he plays in that same position. I've seen, I, I seen some plays where they were both wide or out, out uh, wide right, and Artavis was the lead blocker for Ray Ray. So, you know, he's doing, he's doing a lot of things, and he's going to contribute in ways against – Louisville and and just blocking that you won't hear much about, but that's just as important as anything. Yeah, I mean he he really doesn't seem like a guy who's going to complain, right? He, he seems like really a team guy has a good head on his shoulders and is going to do everything he can to help the team win. I mean he's got a bright uh, future in football, I believe, and he's too much of a talent for us to see him go under the radar for too much longer this year. Yeah, he, he's just one of those guys. I mean he's just got a lot of dog in him, and I I I expect. When the, the spotlight or, or the, the lights are, the, are as bright as they'll be, I, I expect him to, to come through in, in tight moments. So Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, we've touched on him in the running game, throwing the ball. He did look better, more poised, and looked like he was, honestly was having more fun early on in this game. Deep ball is still a concern. He's overthrowing guys, and a lot of those guys are wide open. The, the touch on the ball actually looked better in this Georgia Tech game. But, you know, just kind of his depth perception or the accuracy in the vertical part of the game just didn't seem to be there. It's, it's such a, it's a quagmire because he had all offseason to work on these things and he, and he does so much offseason prep, works with a private coach, and, he, and he's so inaccurate. There's not a better way to say it. And like you said, his deep ball is, was elite. He had an elite deep ball and, and you just haven't seen that and he's, um, he's still I mean he's still they're pretty balls I mean he's still throwing the ball well and he's not inaccurate from a horizontal perspective he's not missing guys right or missing guys left he's just overthrowing and they're dead on but they're just overthrowing a little bit well you talked about him gaining weight Ben and that strength yeah <laughs> maybe he gained a little too much upper body strength and he's, he's throwing a little too far but I, yeah and, and, and interceptions have still been an issue. I think he's had one in every game this year. I don't know. Maybe he didn't against SC State. Um, but <laughs> let's bring up now the interception for a safety while we're on the subject. <laughs> have you ever seen a play like that before? No, and I didn't, I didn't believe it. I think you were saying it's a safety. You, yeah. knew, you knew like 20 seconds later. I'm like, no way. Like We, we don't deserve two points right there, but apparently well, we got them. If you're going to throw an interception, you might as well get two points and the ball back, right? <laughs> It couldn't have worked out any better. We got, yeah, we got lucky. 
I mean, the, the look on Georgia Tech fans' faces were priceless. I mean, I've never been so happy about an interception in my life. I mean, from when we're on offense, that is. Oh, yeah. No, it was great and not, not deserved. I, I, don't, I don't know whose fault that was. I don't know if it was Mike Williams. Uh, he ran an out route. He was supposed to run a curl. I don't know if that, you know, whose fault it was, but it was clear miscommunication. It wasn't an accuracy issue on Deshaun Watson's part. So that maybe that's a, a positive no, we can no, take from he it. Threw it. He threw it right to the guy. He was dead on. <laughs> so I'm going to go for two points. I could go for six, but I'm going to go for two instead. Well, didn't we score a touchdown after that? Did we end up with nine off of that? Uh, I don't think so. Anyway, don't remember. Um, well, an interesting play nonetheless. Um, so that, at least, this wraps it up for the offense in the Georgia Tech game. Good to see them come out firing on all cylinders in the first half. But they're going to have to do this all game long, uh, no doubt, against Louisville. Now, the absolute bright spot of this entire game, the defense. Brent Venables and that crew, you know, give yourselves a pat on the back. What a fantastic game. They stuffed everything that Georgia Tech threw, out them, threw at them. Again, Paul Johnson was kneeling in the ground, you know, digging his finger in the dirt after the second drive of the game, trying to figure out something to beat this Clemson defense. But you know, going into this game, we said, don't overcommit to stuffing the run up the, the middle, or they're going to kill you on the outside. And you saw Dexter Lawrence get the start over Scott Pagano. That worked out really well because it was just him and Carlos Watkins. And even when Pagano got in, in there, it only took two guys up the middle to stuff that run, and then we were free on the outside with the defensive ends. Dorian Daniel had another good game. You saw Ben Boulware in there a lot. I mean, what a perfect game plan, perfectly executed for this defense. Yeah, this had to be Venable's masterpiece, and he's had quite a few, uh, like the second half uh, against Oklahoma, or both times we played Oklahoma, really. Um, but this has to be right up there, and, I, and I, you could see how giddy he was after the game. It, this game meant something to him just because of how – I think it's just, you know, he's like a chess player. This game was probably more mentally uh, stimulating, more challenging for him, and you, even though you could say what you want about their talent, uh, particularly the advantage that we had in the trenches. But uh, it meant a lot to the Venables, and he was so happy afterwards, and it, it, was, it was a brilliant for, for performance. Um, I think it all starts, like you said, it's the defensive line, though. Absolutely. We, we knew we had a, a great interior defensive line. They are, you talk about shortcomings on offense, they are everything we expected, and maybe because of Dexter Lawrence, a little more. And um, you're going to see him, I mean, th this is a telltale, uh, this is a perfect script leading into the Louisville game. I think you're going to see him start again over Scott Pagano, because if you can fill up that middle and stuff that middle run with just those two guys, and you're able to commit uh, more guys to the outside, especially in that zone read that Louisville's going to be running, you're going to be in a lot better shape, um, uh, you know, rather than if you had to bring another linebacker up or something like that to, to provide assistance. Exactly. And because with Lamar Jackson, those zone reads, they do so much that will keep you up at night, you know, as probably a defensive coordinator, as a linebacker, because you have to account for so much. And if you make a mistake, if you're a half a second late with Lamar Jackson, He'll, he'll beat you. He's gone for 20 yards. So I, I think it's so big that, yeah, you, you, don't, have to, you don't have to stuff the box, uh, bring in too much help, especially not a, along the interior of the line. Uh, that, that's going to be an advantage we'll have, and we can focus our, our efforts on the outside and, and, and committing there and just playing good gap assignment football, uh, especially with linebackers. Um, because that's, that's what it's all about. This game, in a way, I feel was a, a warm-up uh, in terms of, um, just gap assignment and, and hitting, you know, knowing your, your assignment, knowing your blocker, knowing who to, who to take out. And 
not exactly a, a great, uh, not not a, a duplicate of what Louisville will do, but but similar in in, in some concepts. Yeah, and and to kind of paint you a picture how the defense did in this game, um, you you know we said a couple things going into this. Uh, one was that, you know, put them in third and longs. Georgia Tech does not, they're not successful when they're in third and longs. And then the other part is limit the big plays. Clemson did both of those things well. Georgia Tech was only 2 and 12, 2 of 12 on third down. They were in a ton of third and longs. And then uh, to answer the other question, I think their longest yeah, their longest pass was at 26 yards. They had no other pass, uh, well really only three other completions and only one of those actually registered positive yards. And then their longest run of the day was only 18 yards. Justin Thomas was held to negative 25 yards rushing. The team as a whole was held to under 100 yards. They were 95 yards rushing on the day. I'd have to go back this, and dig this up, but who knows when the last time Georgia Tech in this triple option office, offense was held to under 100 yards rushing. That's amazing. Right, and, and they've, you know, they're not the worst team in the ACC. They've, they put up points this year. The offense, that triple option has been somewhat effective this year. Uh, it, it just it it's it was amazing what we could do against them and make and and render what we think is a, a pretty good quarterback uh, for Georgia Tech. I mean, render him pretty much useless. Well, and it was you, the same. It was the same thing as last year, except this time we were in Atlanta. I mean, they may have, they've gotten better on offense this year, but we may have gotten better on defense. Well, we at least we have across the defensive line. I think so. I I certainly think so along the interior. Carlos Watkins has taken another step forward. Dexter Lawrence is just. A talent like any other. Um, Scott Pagano is just doing what he does, just a, a wrecking ball that can, uh, that's active. Christian Wilkins, I, we talked about Austin Bryant having him back, and I still think it's important to have him back. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case, but he's given us more than a plus grade at strong side defensive end. He's been, he's the best player on our defense. That's, we kind of predicted that. He's been the MVP of the defense, maybe the entire team. And uh, he's just tremendous. And I, it, I think there's some questions of what we're going to do once Austin Bryant comes back. I mean, I imagine he'll probably go back uh, into a starting role when he's healthy. But uh, Christian Wilkins is, is darn good at strong side defensive end. He's got some wheels at 300 pounds. Well, and it's just, just amazing. I mean, I wonder if we don't see him, even when Austin Bryant's back, see him uh, switch in and out between defensive end and defensive tackle because – I mean, at that point, how do you keep Dexter Lawrence off the field? You know Carlos Watkins is going to be starting, but embarrassment of riches there. I mean, I think Lawrence, so. Lawrence has come along so well that uh, – do you see Wilkins at DE all year as well as he's played? It could be. And that's going to, I would imagine, have to do with Austin Bryant's health. If, if he gets back to where he needs to be, that's a, that's a good player. That's a guy that we rolled with in the Orange Bowl last year, talking about Austin Bryant. So I feel really good about that. And then I, as good as Christian Wilkins is at strong side offensive end, he's even better at the three technique or even nose tackle uh, as a defensive tackle. So that's uh, I, I think you probably split snaps between them at strong side, but that is just a, an offense or I'm sorry, defensive line that, that can go toe to toe with last year's defensive line. I think when we'll find that out against Louisville. Absolutely. And you know, Cleveland Farrell really had a great game coming out here. He had, a couple big hits that I saw out there, so good to see him kind of get going. A couple other guys, Chris Register got in there and got some good playing time. Uh, Huggy Bear, Albert Huggins got in there and played well, so good to see. I mean, the depth is building there too, which is really exciting. 
We, we like what we saw out of Register and, and, and Huggins. Uh, Register, a converted linebacker. We didn't, we didn't know if he would ever you know, be a guy that we could count on. And it looks like he's at least given us quality depth at this point. We're really happy about that. And then Huggins, uh, maybe he should have registered his freshman year, but I think once Watkins graduates and, and, and the year after Pagano moves on, we feel good about him as being another potentially elite guy along the defensive, uh, the interior line. Yeah, so, I mean, nothing but good things to say about the defensive line, not just for, you know, for now and in this game and looking forward to the season, but also into the future. I mean, things are looking bright at that position. Let's switch over to linebacker now. Uh, you know, again, Dorian O'Daniel played well. Ben Bulwer's in there, as always. Really tough to see Jalen Williams go down. Uh, fortunately, it doesn't look like it was anything to have to do with his ACL. I think it was an MCL sprain, so we could see him back in a few weeks. But, you know, that's kind of a big loss going into the Louisville game. I think so. He, he, uh, he's very versatile. Um, Brent Vittable likes to use him in a number of ways. And I think with Louisville's very dynamic offense, I think he could have been a good uh, antidote uh, to what Lamar Jackson brings and like that zone read. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem to see him going down. Uh, luckily, you know, we have some answers. Going back to Dorian O'Daniel, though, it's like it, it's almost becoming comical at how good he is against that triple option and how well he plays every time we play Georgia Tech. And for him to stand out in this game really says a lot because, you know, for the most part, Georgia Tech never got past the defensive line. So we didn't hear a lot from the much from the linebackers. We did a little because they're in there on every play, but uh, the secondary really didn't have to do a lot. They didn't have to defend a lot of passes. Um, so, yeah, kudos to Dorian O'Daniel. Great to see him. Th- three years running, just eating up <laughs> Paul Johnson's offense. That's right. And, and I, there's some, I think there was a moment where I think Dorian O'Daniel, O'Daniel took out the lead blocker, and it was a, a play on the, on the perimeter. Kendall Joseph met the guy just short of the, the, the first down. It was just textbook how you defend the triple option, and it's like, you know, if we could have gone back in time and given this to Kevin Steele <laughs> in the, back in like 2010, uh, he might still have a job here. <laughs> so we won't do that. Yeah, no, I, I think we're absolutely happy uh, <laughs> with, with where we are. Again, this defense holds Georgia Tech to 124 yards of total offense, less than 100 yards rushing. That was amazing. Uh, not much to say about the secondary in this game other than the fact that I will point out that Ryan Carter is going to get the start. He's listed first on the depth chart. Uh, opposite tank at cornerback uh, heading into the Louisville game. Ryan Carter's really come on. We're going to see Marcus Edmonds slip back. Uh, same thing with uh, Mark Fields. So it says a lot about what Ryan Carter's doing. I, 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 don't, I, mean, I don't like it. I, I wish the coaches had more confidence in a more talented guy. There's, there's a guy who's a lot more talented than him. Uh, but you saw it against Florida State. If, you, if you're timid, if you play a step slow, then you're rendered that athleticism you have is rendered useless. So um, they, Ryan Carter does not have the athleticism of a Mark Phillips, Trayvon Mullen, but he, he is a guy that Venables trusts. So I think that's kind of the, uh, the reason behind that, which is not a great sign, but at least, at least Carter did have a heck of a game against Georgia Tech. Well, and yeah, maybe not a great sign that the other guys aren't living up to their potential, but going back to what I said, play the guys who are proving it on the field. And if Ryan Carter is the guy that's proving it on the field, I don't care how they're doing in practice. You go with who is you know, showing you what they can do in crunch time in real-time game situations. You're right. It, w- it wasn't athleticism that, that gave up the, those touchdowns to O.J. Howard in the national championship game. It was mis- just busts. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, a lot of excitement about the defense. They continue to prove that they are 
going to be a lot better this year than we thought they would be. And it all starts with that defensive front. I think for the first time this year, you're going to see them get tested uh, in the vertical passing game, stretching the field. So we'll see how that turns out. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get on to Louisville. But before we wrap up this Georgia Tech game, uh, let's talk special teams real quick. Hugel has another uh, missed field goal. This is becoming a little bit concerning, a little bit shakier than he was last year. And, I, you know, did have a long of 47, which was good to see, 3-3 three three on his extra points. But I, I don't think if it came down to it in the game against Louisville where we're down by a field goal or down by one or two and we need a kick to win it, that, that he's going to do it. I'm sorry. I just There's been too many little missteps here and there that doesn't give me a lot of confidence. In, in Hugo's defense, it doesn't seem like in pressure, quote-unquote pressure moments, there hasn't, haven't been a ton uh, in the last couple of years with him as, as it relates to his kicking, but it seems like in the pressure moments, he generally makes the field goal. However, in moments where there's no pressure, like extra points, that's when he gets shaky. So kind of, a, kind of an odd thing. Yeah, I can't recall. Has he had to kick a field goal of the game on the line yet? How did that... He hasn't had any Catman moments, no. No, no. Well, Catman, 60-yard field goal this week for uh, the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> Killing me in fantasy, but otherwise good for him. He missed, uh, he missed in week one, and that was, uh, that was the winner for me. But no one gives a, sh- a crap about our uh, fantasy. Well, you never know. We're just talking good about Catman. Anyways, yeah. good for you, Catman. Drill the 60-yarder. People always question your leg strength. There you go. Um, all right, so let's... Cody, shift on to Louisville. Huge game this week. This is going to be the biggest game we play all, all season, at least in the regular season. Essentially, this is for the ACC championship. Win, and we have a shot to get in it. You know, We then would have to beat the rest of the ACC teams on our schedule, including Florida State. We lose this game, we're out. Because Louisville's not going to lose two in the ACC from here on out. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can say you know, 100% that we're out, but it's, it's unfortunate and you can start to see but, things. But Louisville shape. would have to lose two games. Have you seen their schedule? Well, I, I, I agree. I, well, they do have Houston, but... But that's not an ACC game. They have, after us, they have Duke, who just beat Notre Dame, to their credit, big deal there. Uh, <laughs> they have Duke at home, North Carolina State at home, Virginia on the road, BC on the road, Wake Forest at home. Like, are they going to lose two out of those games? Mm-hmm. Not unless Lamar Jackson goes down. Even if he does, they're not going to lose two of those. Well, then it becomes a question of if Louisville is the ACC champion, the Coastal, or the Atlantic champion, does that automatically disqualify Clemson? And it absolutely doesn't, no matter how you know rigid fans might, might think. Well, that's these. where that Houston game becomes really important for Louisville because – Louisville's fighting to keep another Power Five team out of the college football playoff. If they if they lose, uh, if Louisville loses to Houston but wins the ACC, that definitely knocks us out. I think. I, no, I think so. It, it depends on how Houston does up to that point. But I, I would have to assume. I mean, you look at their schedule. I think they're in good shape to be undefeated. Louisville beats us, runs the table, beats and you know, of course, beats Houston. Then, and that's our only loss. Then we could, you know, put our resume against Houston's. Uh, again, there there'll be a conference champion. Anyway, maybe we're looking too far ahead, but I think the picture uh, of the of the landscape is starting to shape up a little bit. And Stanford, and you know, I was talking to Tully, who is is no longer in France. He's he's back in the in the states. He actually he's, went to, he's stateside. He went to Georgia Tech, and he'll be heading to Louisville. Yeah, lucky dog. 
so he he thinks Stanford's a poser, and I, I agree. I think they're like the Oklahoma of last year. Not in the same way. They're not weak in the trenches. I just don't think. I think they're more like Notre Dame from several years back when they won when they went to the national championship. They're just they have the the ability to squeak out games, and they might be undefeated. But that's just another team that we will not get in over if we have one loss and they're undefeated. Yeah, and I don't really care much about that Cardinal because I think overall their body of work is not going to be um, as impressive, and I still expect them to lose a game along the way. But again, really all of this was to say, not to look too far ahead, but really put the importance on how big of a game this is, not because it's game day, not because it's a night game, not because Lamar Jackson is the front runner for the Heisman. It's because this game will determine our... Uh, trajectory heading into the college football playoff, you know, going a long way to determine whether or not we're in or out. Yeah, if we can say like one thing that's we feel pretty comfortable in, and I think you're right, you hit on it. It's that Louisville will most likely not lose another game, and and that would automatically eliminate us from being a conference champion. So, yeah, we lose this game, and it's it's an uphill battle the rest yeah. of the way. Yeah, I mean, I'll put it this: there's a 95 percent chance they. They don't lose one game. There's a hundred percent, or they, there's a ninety-five percent chance that they uh, win them all. And even if they do lose one game, maybe they trip up against a Miami or a North Carolina in the ACC championship. Well, they still get in over us. They beat us. So, yeah, like, yeah. Well, there's a hundred percent. That's what I was gonna say. There's a hundred percent chance they don't lose two. They're not gonna lose two. Yeah, and one one's just as bad. So it, it's not good. We we need to win this game. It's lucky that we have them at home. That's a, a more of a blessing than we ever thought it would be. So, so on offense here, we're really going to have to come out and go toe-to-toe with them. Again, our defense is going to be tested like they've never been before this year. This will be the best offense they've seen all year long. So our offense is really going to have to step up. They're going to be clicking on all cylinders. You know, if we get down early, they're going to need to fight back and play hard and, and, and start connecting because if we start seeing a lot of these drops, these things that kill drives, then our defense ends up on the field a lot, this game could get out of hand real early. That's what happened against Florida State. It, they got punched in the mouth, and they never they never got back up from from the ground. They were they were down, and I mean this is this has shades of 2013. And I don't want to say that we're going to lose or get blown out, but we yeah. If if you come out and you're flat and the offense is stalling out, then Lamar Jackson. Oh my God, he's playing with. I think it's almost a little bit blind confidence. He just he thinks he is amazing, and he is by virtue of thinking that he is amazing. Um, he, well, for one, he's got elite speed, and and his passing, his his knowledge of Petrino's offense is is just it's night and day from what it was last year. Petrino does such a he is what Venables is on on def, or on offense. He is a, a mastermind of offensive play calling and and, and scheming. Um, he puts. Lamar Jackson in, in, in a way that, that best utilizes his skill set, and they're, they've taken it to a whole other level. A very so, scary team. So what are we going to have to do to stop this offense? I mean, what we've seen out of their opponents this year, if they have had no success stopping the read option. You know, they're, they're failing to set the edge, or they're getting way too far up the field, and they're just letting Jackson run all over them. The question for Clemson is, can we keep him in the pocket and make him make plays with his arm. I mean, he threw all day over Syracuse, but that's because nobody was covering uh, their wide receivers, it seemed like. So I give more credit to our secondary. I'm going to say they're going to do a better job than Syracuse's, but going back to really containing them, I think you want to see the same thing you saw in Georgia Tech. You want to see two guys occupy the middle of that offensive line, whether it be 
uh, Lawrence and Watkins, Pagano and Watkins, whomever. But then let Cleveland Farrell, uh, Christian Wilkins, and then a couple of your linebackers really help hold containment on that outside edge to keep Lamar Jackson in there. Because if he gets let loose running the ball, it could be a long night. Uh, absolutely. And, and I watched the Florida State game. I keep a, a close track on the NOLCast, which is uh, Bud Elliott. He's the national uh, uh, director of recruiting for SB Nation. Uh, a, a Seminole and a, a just amazing. If you want to l- learn more about the Noel or uh, the Seminoles, go check that out. So he keeps me, you know, the fan base was very upset to say the least. But uh, what happened in, in the game against Florida State where, you know, Louisville put up 62 points, it was really, uh, well, for one, uh, they had a hurt defensive end, Josh Sweat. Couldn't set the edge. And then Demarcus Walker. He, uh, he was their all-American, all-everything defensive end that was healthy. He, uh, he just couldn't get a feel for Lamar Jackson. Uh, and and the, the biggest issue that Florida State had, though, was linebacker play. And it wasn't, well, the secondary as well. They were flat-footed. You're talking about five-star, former five-star and high four-star athletes uh, that just were too hesitant. And, and a lot of that had to do with Florida State's scheme. Um, so a different, is, as great as they looked on paper, a different product and what, as far, in terms of what they brought to the, to the table to that game was not reflective of their ranking or their talent. Now, our defense, not as, uh, it's not as complicated. It, I mean, it, it's nuanced for sure. But it's more one of Venables wants guys to feel like they can be aggressive, play with instincts, and remove a lot of the, the pre-snap calculating and, and you know, post-snap calculating. So I, I think that bodes well for us. I think it, it gives us uh, a, a chance to put pressure on Jackson that he hasn't seen this entire year. And, we, and it's the same, same damn narrative that we had in 2013. We said the same thing about Jameis Winston, and I hope this isn't part two. But I really do think uh, he Jackson has not seen pressure and the, the type of blitz and, and sense that we're going to be able to throw at him. And, and obviously, I, I think a, an interior line that they haven't seen up to this point either. And, and kind of the fortunate thing for this game is, is, you know, for Brent Venables and game planning as far as that goes, is that we've got a little bit of extra time having played a Thursday game. But also, we've got four good games of tape um, with which to break down Louisville's offense. And it's not like... You know, they haven't been opening up their playbook because they've put up 70, 62, 63, and 59. Um, and I can, you know, understand what you say, well, Charlotte, Syracuse, Marshall, but one of those was Flutter State. So they've opened up the playbook. We're going to have a better idea of what their offense is capable of than we would have at the beginning of the season. I think so. And, you know, one of the, the things on Petrino, and I don't want to scare Clemson fans too much, is that. He is one of the best, and this is his reputation, that he's one of the best in-game coaches that can not only make the best play calls in the, in the right moment, but also make adjustments during the game. And, I mean, he's, you know, say what you want to about his character, about his morals, but he is one hell of a football coach. So part of that, what I've been preaching about us opening up our offense is, hey, we have things that doesn't matter if you show it on film, it can't be stopped. You know, we have playmakers all over. You can show all you want. You can't stop Jordan Leggett, you know, when you got Mike Williams on the, on the boundary. Um, you know, similarly, as, as it relates to Louisville, you can't stop Lamar Jackson and his speed. If, you, if you're a half second late, you, you'll miss him, and he could be taking it to the house. So should we try to distract him a little bit by maybe some of those signs we throw up, put some motorcycles or something on there? <laughs> I, I think, well, I think, of course, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, <laughs> Yeah, my major area of concern is not going to be the defensive line and less so about the linebackers. But 
our secondary getting tested in this game. How does Van Smith do? How does Jadar Johnson do? How does Ryan Carter do stepping into that uh, starting corner position? So be very interested to see how that goes down because if these guys are giving up big plays, that's going to really hurt us. I think so. And I'm, I'm okay with Lamar Jackson. If he can step back in the pocket as, as well as he's been passing, I'm okay. Let, let him beat us. Um, you know, don't, don't, uh, you, you can do some man cover, some zone, whatever, give him different looks, but you don't have to uh, overcommit in terms of just stopping him. I, I, I want him to beat us with his passing. I think I'll be okay with that. I won't be okay, though, if, if, we're, if we're missing assignments, if we're, we're slow to, in terms of like linebacker play. If uh, if we're out of position, that's where that's where it could be a danger. Um, you're right though, as it relates to secondary. I think it's their first test with a guy that is a good passer, and we'll we'll have and some good and, wide receivers and good wide receivers, right? Yeah. So that defense is going to have to play a tough, you know, hard nosed game all day long. And if we get down and they start scoring on us early, they're going to need to find a way to come up with some big stops for this offense. You know, for us to keep pace. This is, I think this is going to be a keep pace game. I don't think it's going to be a game, you know, scored in the 20s. Uh, it's it's going to be much different than that. There's going to be points put up on the board. Um, if the defense, honestly, if our, if our defense can hold them in the 30s, I'm feeling okay. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting, uh, kind of what we thought would play out in 2013. We punch Jameis in the, in the mouth a few times and he'll crumble. That never came to fruition. I'm really interested to see if we can get pressure on Jackson that he hasn't seen all year, if that'll kind of be on his undoing. And if that's the case, uh, you know, we, I think we could really parlay that into a, a, an effort where it could be more low scoring. I even told Tolley, I think we were talking in our messenger group, I would bet the under on this one. Yeah, so in a game with, you know, two such high-powered offenses, I really do think it's going to come down to how well – one high-powered offense. Well, two offenses that are supposed to be high-powered. It's going to come down to how well our defense plays and maybe how well our offense doesn't play. Speaking of the offense, you know, thinking about what they're going to have to do to win this game, they're obviously going to have to help out the defense. I mentioned they're going to need to stay on the field, uh, keep drives moving, convert third downs. Maybe you don't put yourself in the position to have long third downs. Let's get first downs you know, in two downs instead of, ending up in third down and facing, you know, opportunities we're having to convert a lot. You know, one thing, it's going to have to be about tempo. You know, our offense is going to come out and, and need to set the tone uh, to exercise control over the game. And I think, you know, the spread offenses came out 10 years ago. I'm wondering if we're not seeing uh, a new need for this offense to evolve if they're not clicking. You know, we say it's because we're keeping the, score, uh, the playbook close or because we're running a lot of guys out there. But, you know, we're going to need to see something different in this game. The, temp, the tempo on offense uh, used to make defenses really be dumbed down, but now the defenses are really getting keyed in on that. You know, our offense is slowing down. So in this game, does our offense pick up that tempo? Do they come out with things that Louisville hasn't seen before and causes them to start getting play calls in late um, and really be unprepared at the snap? I don't know. We haven't seen that through the first four games this year. I'm hoping we see something like that in the fifth. I think so. You look at Tony Elliott as a play caller, as an offensive coordinator, him and Jeff Scott. This is this is it. This is for all the marbles. This is where if, if they let us down in terms of play calling, I think I'm not going to say we're going to make adjustments. We're not going to less miles it. But 
uh, I think we have to really consider if, if we look as flat as we did against Detroit in, in this Louisville game, then we have some things to think about because you have all these playmakers, you know what's at stake, the kitchen sink needs to be thrown at Louisville, and if it's not, uh, there's an issue. Um, like, in, in terms of uh, like just play calling, uh, what def- uh, Louisville brings defensively, well, you know they run their base 3-4, three, 3 linemen, but they, they mix in so many different uh, linebackers. Like Devonte Fields, uh, I think I, James Hearns, I believe is his name. Two really big linebackers that will will come up to the line of scrimmage. They'll do delay blitzes from the, the linebacker position. The thing that that I I kind of take some optimism from it is Deshaun Watson in the film that I'm sure they look at. They have to know at this point that if if you're gonna drop back and, and try to do, again, again try to do the NFL audition as a pocket passer. You, your bell's going to get ring. You have to be on guard. You have to be instinctive. You have to be ready to take off from the pocket and run for 10 yards. He needs to look like a dual threat. He needs to look like Lamar Jackson to some extent. And if, you, if he doesn't, he's going to be taking some hits. So I think, that's a, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, listen, it comes down to this. We're going to need to see an improved play from the offensive line to really open up the run game. Goldman needs to be hitting the holes. We also need to see good pass protection to keep – Deshaun Watson on his feet and get Deshaun Watson involved in that run game. This is the game where you open up the playbook. Anything goes. This is the most important game of the year. This is this year's national championship, at least to this point in the season for us. And then finally for the wide receivers, catch the damn ball. You've got these gloves that have like, you know, tar paper on them. They're sticky as hell. Catch the ball. We can't afford, you know, little mistakes like this. In a, in a game like this because the mistakes are going to be what kills you. That's what killed us in the Alabama game. Uh, yeah, and I know this is a, another tied narrative about dropping the ball and making mental mistakes, but at some point, as I was watching the Georgia Tech film, it's like when do all these things just become who you are as opposed to you're making a few mistakes that we need to correct? You, you know what I mean? It's, it's a thing well, of that's what happened and doing kind the right of, things. It's kind of what happened to Jermon Hopper. It's... In terms of uh, on the of field? Dro- of dropping the balls, uh, yeah. dropping the ball. Like he had a lot of drops and that kind of became who he was. Yeah, a, a team that maybe it's the weight of expectations, maybe it's uh, just not a lack of focus, whatever the reason. I don't want to diagnose mentally or psychology what's going on in the locker rooms, but it, it, it's, it's starting to become more of a trend than a, uh, I don't know, it's not an exception. Than a, it's, than a one-off thing. Right, right. Well, we'll really see come Saturday night because the bright lights are going to be on in Death Valley. They're going to be on this team. Um, and something that they haven't seen since you know last year in January. Uh, you know, finally, kind of to wrap this game up, I really think it, uh, this could come down uh, to a couple key big plays. These teams could go toe to toe, but a couple big plays could really drive the outcome of this game. And I think that's where you begin to look to special teams. Is this a game where Ray Ray finally breaks out for a punt return for a TD, where he holds onto the ball all the way through the end zone? Does Artavis Scott get a kickoff return for a TV, uh, TD in the return game? Uh, Greg Hugel's been a bright spot for him this year, kicking the ball into the end zone, out of the end zone, not a lot of returns, so that hasn't been an issue. Uh, you know, Teasdall, can he get up to a 40-yard average to keep the field long uh, for Louisville? Yeah. A lot of key factors. Special teams are going to have a lot to do, do with this game, as they always do when you have two really good teams out there. Yeah, and it seemed like the only time Florida State had success was when they could pin them back in their in their own territory, you know, well below uh, the twenty or like in the ten yard line and below. So no, you're you hit it on the head. Field position is going to be very very important. 
So that wraps it up uh, for our Georgia Tech and Louisville. Uh, Georgia Tech recap, Louisville preview. Again, huge game in Death Valley coming up on Saturday night. Game day is going to be there. Clemson fans, get out there like you always do and show the best of what our university has to offer. Uh, you know, Be gracious to the Louisville fans. Uh, be great hosts and get out there and cheer for the Tigers. Get behind this team. You know, a lot of these guys do know what it's like to be in the spotlight. So as much of the negative areas we've kind of been focusing on, there's a lot to be said uh, about a coaching staff that has experience coaching in a game like this and a bunch of players who not only have all the talent in the world but have experience in playing in a game like this. So Saturday night, here it comes, biggest game of the season. Really looking forward to it. Um, so checking in on our prediction challenge, the podcast prediction challenge, after last week, Tully gets his third win of the season, picks up 14 points. Uh, the podcast actually registered one on our podcast ad aggregate. It came in second, followed by Cody, and then myself in last place. So, so far on the year, Tully's looking like he's going to get a free dinner. He's leading with 50 points. I'm right behind with 47. The podcast has 29 points, catching up a little bit. Just a reminder, if the podcast wins this year, we will pick the best mailbag question that we have sent in. So send us... Uh, questions to clemsonpodcast at gmail.com hit us up on Facebook or on Twitter or leave a uh, message uh, in the TigerNet message boards when they uh, make our post uh, so there's the podcast last Cody you're still at 24 points dead last place are you ever going to get better this year? This is intentional at this point it's like uh, it's like Corso picking uh, against Florida State like, I, I had to pick against Clemson because, or at least the spread, because I knew that Clemson would cover if I did. So, and it worked out. So I'll, I'll be picking Louisville. Yeah. You're in last place. It seems to have worked out for you. Um, so this will be telling this week heading to Louisville. We'll tweet out our predictions, uh, later in the week, but does anybody pick Clemson to actually lose this game? That'll be really telling because for the first time since the national championship game last year, uh, somebody really has a shot. I think it's our biggest game in the or, last two years. That's, yeah, well, Louisville really That's not a postseason so. game. It's bigger than the Notre Dame game and the Florida State game. It was big, Yeah, absolutely. It was bigger than the Florida State game last year. So hold on to your seat, folks. Buckle in. It's going to be a good one. Um, so wrapping up today, let's take a look around the college football universe. You know, not a lot we're going to touch on this week, but a few key things. You know, we saw Auburn on a crazy kind of last-second play where LSU scored, thought they had won the game, then they got called back because apparently ran out of time. They beat number 18, LSU, 18-13, to 13, and they send less miles packing. You know, they cons LSU considered this at the end of last year. There was a lot of coaching vacancies, a lot of big-name coaches out there on the market, but I think they waited too long. They were stuck with him for again this year. Are you surprised at all to see uh, them kick him to the curb after this loss? No, and Les Miles is as good and fun-spirited as he is, and, and in a way it's uh, kind of reminds you of Dabo. He has not evolved. Uh, his offensive uh, schemes and the way he, he's taken to that uh, side of the ball uh, in, in a world where everyone else, if you're, if you're just now adopting you know, hurry up, no huddle concepts, then you're late. You're about three years late. So he has never done that. He's, he's had some of the best talent in the country, and you know, Odell Beckham Jr. was nothing until he was a New York Giants. So uh, not surprised at all. You know, good guy, very successful, but, you know, fielding some of the best recruiting talent in the nation. And I think he got what was coming to him. So the big question is where, 
whose patch of grass is he going to be eating next? Because I don't expect him to stay out of college football too long. Maybe, again, I mentioned this earlier, maybe he switches positions with, uh, with Bob Stoops at Oklahoma after <laughs> Oklahoma crashes and burns this year. Uh, we'll just have to see. And on the other side of that, Gus Malzahn buys himself at least another week. Oh, my. And the part about playing in the SEC that I, I really got a dose of from, from diving in and following Twitter this last weekend a lot was the stakes are so damn high. And we think they're kind of high at Clemson. I think we were humbled a little bit when we had Tommy Bowden for a decade um, in terms of tapering our expectations. Tennessee thinks they should win a national championship every year. So does LSU, uh, maybe a little bit more respectable. Um, Every team thinks that if you don't win a national championship, you're on the hot seat. Auburn, the same. So it's it's a different set of rules and expectations. Um, early on in that first half, again, in the Tennessee-Florida game, well, they, yes, were, they were calling game, for Butch Johns to be fired. Where And then Tennessee turns it around, and they go in there and break an 11-year streak uh, to Florida, beating them 38-28. to you know, Josh Dobbs maybe hasn't lived up to his billing this year. Everybody's comparing him to Deshaun Watson. I haven't seen that, but here we are. Tennessee's number 14 in the country. They're making a move there. Hey, they're a good team. They, they remind me a little bit of uh, Clemson from last year. They, I, they're, they're not putting it on the field, like the whole a total effort through four quarters, but when they show signs of it, they do have what they were you know, pegged to be. They do have an elite team that can beat anyone. They just can they put it together for four quarters? Will it improve throughout the year? So flipping over real quick to the ACC, Florida State bounces back. They beat USF fifty-five to thirty-five. I think the telling thing in this game is Dalvin Cook rushes for you know over two hundred and fifty yards. Let me ask you this, Cody: uh, DeAndre Francois, height coming into the season, he's played well, but his passing production has been really limited. This is a game we still have to circle on the schedule, especially if we beat Louisville, because we'll need to get by them to, to lock up uh, that national uh, or the ACC, the pass into the ACC championship game. Is Francois really the real deal? I don't think he's impressed me enough this year. No, I don't think he's the real deal, no. Um, he's, he's got some work to do. I think he, what's scary about him is he has two more years of, or actually three more of eligibility. Um, he's, he's definitely good. He's a guy that if, if we don't do a good job of uh, getting pressure on him, he, he'll, he'll make us – it'll be a long day in Tallahassee, we'll say that. Well, if uh, we can do it against Lamar Jackson, then I think we'll be able to do it against him. We'll see. Different stakes. I will say Florida State's defense is still reeling. Uh, very tough concepts, and I think if we can give them different looks, we should be able to put a lot of points on them. Um, and then Duke, man, Notre Dame, welcome to the rough-and-tumble ACC, man. Duke goes into South Bend, <laughs> knocks off Notre Dame like 38-39. to 39. Brian Van Gorder, that crazy defensive coordinator of theirs, gets fired. Brian Kelly may not be long for this world at Notre Dame. <laughs> Very surprised to see that score. Yeah, I, I did in-game betting, and I thought they would cover by 10. I was wrong. Duke proved me wrong. Um, yeah, that... that that goes to show the ACC's power. We're clearly right up there with the SEC or the uh, Big Ten. Yeah, right. <laughs> Considering Notre Dame's, you know, a quasi-ACC school. So, right. Not looking good for Notre Dame. And then to wrap up around the country, as we always do, always do, we check on our uh, our little brothers down there in Columbia. They drop a hard one to Kentucky. They lose seventeen to ten. They maybe have one game, one win left on their schedule this year. It's a really uh, tough year for Will Muschamp uh, down there in South Carolina. 
been, I swear to God, and it's not just because we're in California. That's the first time I've heard that score. That's how little I'm paying attention to South Carolina. And South Carolina, Kentucky, I'm, I'm not following. No. I, I completely understand. I imagine most people in the country haven't heard that score either, but, you know, <laughs> we're Clemson, and we love to make fun of them. So I uh, just wanted to let everybody know. Kentucky 17, South Carolina 10. Okay, let's wrap this up here today. Um, you know, I want to say one thing real quick, talking about uh, how the ACC has decided to hire an outside contractor to break the tie. You've all probably heard about this right now. If you haven't, go check it out on TigerNet. Uh, but in the event of a three-way tie, which is what we could be facing right now if Clemson beats Louisville and then loses to Florida State and each one of those teams has a loss, that becomes a three-way tie to see who goes to the ACC championship game. So this outside contractor has a proprietary formula that has not been made public, which is going to decide uh, how that tie is broken. We don't know what the metrics are. We don't know the metrics uh, of their system, which means we need to go out there and beat everyone as bad as we can to put us in the best position to win the tiebreaker should we beat Louisville and then lose to Florida State. That means in the, in the second half of the Georgia Tech game, pedal to the metal. I don't care if you have respect for Paul Johnson. I don't care if we play some of these other teams, these weaker teams that you know, we need to let up to show respect. When uh, ACC championship and possibly college football playoff berth is on the line, that's all that matters. Given this is the case and we don't know what the metric is, what we have to assume is that how you look on the field and how much you beat people by is factored into that. So Dabo, Dabo, please go in there, treat every game as if they're four full quarters and you're down by seven and go out there and score as much as possible. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, just that we played this whole year not to lose and there's two different mentalities. And NFL coaches, even some of the better ones like Bill Belichick, play not to lose. They scheme, how can I not lose this game? And it works. If you're smart and your players are great, it works. But on the college level, we played that same way. And it hasn't worked. So that's going to be a new little, a paradigm shift, if you will. Well, until we beat Louisville and Florida State and take care of business in between then, I'm not going to feel comfortable not putting up as many points on, on people as possible. If that's a factor, that's something that somebody else has put on us. Dabo, it's not your fault if you go up there and run up the score. You know, it's in Clemson's best interest to do so. Then do it. That's all we have here today for our Georgia Tech recap and the Louisville preview. Guys, like I said, a big, big game in Death Valley on Saturday night. If you're going to the game, have fun. Be safe. Cody and I will be back with a recap of that game afterwards. And as always, go Tigers.